we turn your attention this morning to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10. We begin our reading this morning in Matthew chapter 9, and we're reading verses 10 through verse 15. It came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, obviously a meal was being served, behold, many publicans and sinners, publicans were not people that were necessarily loved by the Jews because they were Jewish, but they worked for the Roman government collecting taxes. Of course, the Roman government occupying this area and uh, collecting taxes from all the people. They were, publicans were sort of uh, grouped together here with sinners. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him, referring to Jesus and his disciples. I think it's awesome that they felt comfortable with Jesus. I think people ought to feel comfortable coming to the house of the Lord, regardless of what their background is. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, You never wanted to whisper around Jesus, because he, he would hear you talking to anybody around and... There's many times the Bible says that he discerned their thoughts. And when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. In other words, go do your homework. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, referring to the disciples of John the Baptist, saying, why do we, referring to themselves, and the Pharisees fast oft or often, but thy disciples fast not? Disciples of John said, hey, how come the Pharisees do a lot of fasting? We do a lot of fasting. Your disciples don't seem to fast very much. Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. The children of the bride chamber. Now, I haven't been able to get that phrase out of my head this week. And so I want to speak to you this morning on the simple subject, children of the bride chamber. Would you say that with us this morning? Children of the bride chamber. Those that it is your custom to stand for the reading of the word of God. Thank you for doing that. You may be seated. These scriptures give us a glimpse of the teaching of Jesus and how it conflicted with the lifestyle of the Pharisees. Jesus was attempting to move the Jewish people to a place of being kingdom-minded rather than nationalistic. He also was attempting to remove the barriers that kept many people at arm's length from the presence of God. Jesus then referred to his followers, or more specifically to his disciples, as children of the bride chamber. I feel like that that terminology, that categorization of these followers or disciples of Christ is important and significant for several reasons. Number one, children of the bride chamber go to the throne for mercy. Children of the bride chamber go to the throne for mercy. 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to the throne of God or into the presence of God, there are only two things that you can request. Mercy and justice. Those are the only two things that we have precedent of, of how you can approach the throne of God. If you request justice, then you may receive it, but it may be different than what you wanted. Because when you request judgment, it's very broad. It will judge you as well as the offender that you are requesting that the justice be served on. So be careful when you approach the throne of grace and ask for justice. Because you may get some in your own house. If you request mercy, it is very broad, and you will receive mercy, but you'll also receive it on your past and on your future. That's why the Bible says that as you give mercy to others, so shall it be shown unto you. If there was ever a reason for you and I to be merciful to one another, it ought to be because the same amount that I show mercy to my brother or to my sister, the Bible says, he will show mercy to you and to me. And so we must show mercy to one another because I don't know if you feel this way, but I believe you do. We all need a lot of mercy. Can I get a witness this morning? We all need a God that will show mercy to each and every one of us. That's why the Bible says that you can go boldly before the throne room of grace and find help in a time of need. That help is mercy. Whether it be for a healing of your body or for the salvation of your soul, it is mercy. And so when you go to the throne of God, you either ask for justice or mercy. The Pharisees wanted justice. The Lord told them in Matthew 9, go study this because I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You see, my friend, sacrifice was justice. The sacrifice was to bring justice. The blood was shed and the price was paid in the form of judgment on the sacrifice. Sin demands a payment. And the sacrifice was the payment. That's why Jesus Christ went to Calvary. Because he not only showed mercy, but he also brought justice so that you and I could have our sins remitted or removed because he not only gave mercy, but he took care of the penalty of sin. And so the sacrifice took place. If you go back in the Old Testament, they used to have to bring an animal, an oxen, or they'd have to bring a lamb, or they'd have to bring a goat, and they would have to have a sacrifice that they would offer before those priests even went into the temple and into the tabernacle. And so they would bring their sacrifices, and they still, even many, many years after they were delivered from Egypt and wandering in the wilderness and into their land and building their temples in Jerusalem, and yet still they would bring the sacrifice. When we were in Israel not too long ago, they're uh, excavating the, what they call the southern steps and and uh, our guide showed us where they would bring their uh, sacrifices and they had all of these pools where they would wash uh, and, and go through all the rituals and the rites of bringing their sacrifice. That was all because of the way it was uh, instructed for them back into the Old Testament law. And so that sacrifice always happened outside of the temple. When they brought that sacrifice, uh, even if you study the, the uh, tabernacle plan in the wilderness, that, that sacrifice, uh, that altar of sacrifice was outside of the temple. But the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant was smack dab in the middle of the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. I think that's significant. If you want to get close to God, you've got to leave justice behind and say, God, 
know why this happened. I don't know why that person injured me or hurt me. It may be some from your childhood. You got to leave it in the hands of God and say, I just want mercy. That's how you draw close to God. Let me be a child that strives for the mercy of God. I believe this is what kept the Pharisees at arm's length from God. The Pharisees wanted judgment. Even in this conversation that they had. They wanted judgment or justice on these sinners. And Jesus was eating with them. They wanted justice on these, on these publicans and these sinners. And they, they couldn't put it together. It was counterintuitive in their thinking that Jesus and his disciples would be eating with them. Four chapters later, they wanted to know once again why the disciples broke the Sabbath and ate corn as they passed through a field on the Sabbath. Once again, they were looking for judgment. And they asked the Lord, wow, your disciples, they're breaking the Sabbath. They're, they're plucking ears of corn as they walk through the field. It's the Sabbath. You can't do that. And again, the Lord says the same phrase, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7. But if ye had known what this meaneth, that means you did not do your homework. If you would have known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He was saying there's something greater than the law, though he fulfilled every principle of the law. He said there's something greater. That's the Son of Man, hallelujah, that has come and he is even greater than the Sabbath day, hallelujah. And his mercy is greater than the judgment and the justice that our human nature demands. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you today, if you want to be a child of the bride chamber, you've got to get a revelation that when you go to the throne room of grace, you are going with one intent, and that's to find mercy and to get help in a time of need, because you've got a God that will not turn you away. And then as we go through Matthew, we read in Matthew 9 and in Matthew 15 and 17, the common man or the lady on the street asked for mercy. They would cry out and they would ask for mercy. Matthew 9, 27 says that there were two blind men that followed Jesus that said, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. There's no record that the Pharisees ever asked for mercy. You know why? Because the Pharisees didn't think they needed mercy. I'm going to tell you something today, my friend. The greatest thing that keeps human beings from coming to the Lord is not their sin and not their mistakes and not their past. It's that they don't believe that they have a need of God. They think they're okay where they are with what they're doing. But I've come to tell this great congregation, we are all born in sin and shaping in a and I need his mercy today more than I did yesterday. I need his love and his grace, and so do you. Have mercy on me, Lord. They were blind men. They knew they had need. They say, We know we need a physician. We're not pretending that we're whole. Matthew 15, 22, the woman of Cana cried out, My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Interesting that both of these instances at two different times and in two different places combine the title son of David with mercy. Why? 
I believe it was because David found mercy at the throne room after he had sinned and because the Lord had explained to the Pharisees how that David ate of the showbread in the temple when he was trying to explain why the disciples could eat the corn on the Sabbath. He refers to David when he was on the run trying to find a place of refuge. And he went to that tabernacle. They had showbread. He wasn't supposed to eat the showbread, but he did. And the Lord even refers to that. In Matthew 12, 3, he says, But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered? And they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread? Oh, hallelujah. When you enter into the house of God, you ought to be able to find mercy. That's what the bride chamber is. Hallelujah. He's the bridegroom. And the church, the people are the bride. But the bride chamber is the house of God. And when you come into the bride chamber, you're saying, Lord, I'm preparing myself. I'm readying myself. I want to be able to find mercy when I come into the church. I come to an altar. It ought to be a place of mercy. said he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat neither for them which were with him but only for the priests and yet because of the mercy that was extended to David David's name became synonymous with mercy in fact even the US president in the late 1990s on the eve of the 21st century cited David of the Old Testament to make his case as to why he, the president, should be forgiven for his infidelity. He referred back to King David and said he was king and, and he was forgiven. I'm president and I should be forgiven. And for the most part, the American people forgave him. But he referred to David when he was talking about mercy. Mm. And I can't get over the fact that these people on the streets that had children that were possessed by devils and had blinded eyes and had crippled legs they were willing to say Jesus now son of David have mercy on me they were saying we're not going to pretend that we are without need of you I'm willing to say God I need your help I need your strength I need your healing I need your anointing have mercy on me Children of the bride chamber go to the throne not for justice but for mercy. Also in Matthew 17, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's vexed of a devil and often will fall into the fire. You see, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the whole do not need a physician, but those that are sick do. In other words, I've come to bring mercy to those who are willing to admit that you're in need. I wonder how many people in this building today can admit that they are in need every time an altar call is given people that come to the altar are people that are willing to admit I need mercy it's not just for the visitor it's not just for the sinner it ought to be for every saint every man every woman every boy and every girl none of us are saved until we hear the click of the pearly gates behind us every time we come into this bride chamber it ought to be to say God I need your mercy one more day I need your mercy one more time the sick found mercy 
Those that were possessed with unclean spirits found mercy. The sinner found mercy. The disciples found mercy. They all found mercy because they asked for it. The Pharisees never did because they did not think that they needed it. They thought that they were whole. We don't need a physician. They were going to the throne to get justice. I just returned last night at 8.30 p.m. from Guatemala. They're having revival. They're building an orphanage, Bible school, 50 new churches, but they know they need a physician. Even as we left the airport and drove to our hotel, we saw three bodies laying in the middle of the road. They had just recently been shot, and there was just a blanket over them as they waited for the police to get there. The guy who opened the gate at the orphanage when we were there last year was shot to death between last year and now. People die every day. Kids roaming the streets with guns. Gangs. It's, it's hard to even describe. We're having one of the highest crime rates in all of the world. More dangerous than being in Afghanistan is being in Guatemala. But yet they know they need a physician. They know they're sick. They know they're hurting. They know they're poor. And so they're having revival because they're calling out and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. What about America? Is your bank account going to save you? Is your standard of living going to save you? I say to this great country and to this great congregation, every day that you live, it ought to be Lord. I need your mercy today. I can't make it not one more breath, not one more step, unless you save me, oh God. Children of the bride chamber. Not necessarily who we would consider the religious people. It's the ones that are hurting, those that are destitute, those that are willing to admit that they have a need. So the children of the bride chamber do not subscribe to a false belief that they do not need God. The enemy wants to convince you that you don't need God, that you don't need this altar, that you don't need the Holy Ghost. All you need to do is come and hear a sermon and leave. But I've come to tell you that the children of the bride chamber, they go to the throne and say, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. The second thing we know about the children of the bride chamber is that they are looking for the Messiah. The children of the bride chamber are looking for the Messiah. They have not gotten so comfortable in this country and in this world and in this day that they are not still living with one eye looking toward that eastern sky. The term that Jesus gave to his disciples when he was asked by the disciples of John why his, Jesus' disciples, did not fast like they did and the Pharisees did. It was in the context of their need to fast would be when the bridegroom was not present. They would fast for his appearance, but right now he's here. So there's no need to fast. And in Matthew 9, 15, it says, And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast. What are they fasting for? They're fasting for his return. We ought not to get so comfortable that every day we're not looking for the return of the Messiah.
This lets us know that the children of the bride chamber have a sense of yearning. They have a sense of expectancy. They have a sense of urgency, a sense of longing. There's a sense of incompleteness to the children of the bride chamber. You know why? Because they are watching and they are waiting. They're singing the song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Every day that the children of the bride chamber get up out of the bed, this could be the day that the Lord comes because they are watching and waiting for the return of the bride chamber, the bride groom. And so in Matthew 25, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as a wedding party that waiteth for the bridegroom. Matthew 25, 1, then shall the kingdom of heaven be like unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. It's important to understand what this means. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. You see, they needed to be ready and to have their lamps trimmed and full of oil. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to have your vessel full of the Spirit. That oil is the Holy Spirit of God. That vessel is your life, your body. It's not only got to shine forth the light of God's love, but it's got to be full and running over of the Spirit and the presence of God. Not just some little bit in the bottom of the lamp when you first got the Holy Ghost at nine years old. But every day that you live and every day that I live, there's got to be another outpouring of the Spirit of God so that every day we live, not like we're running on empty, but we've got to live from a position of overflow. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's coming back for his bride, but the bride chamber is the church because it is a place of readiness. I don't buy into this false concept that you don't need a church. That's not biblical. That's something that was hatched up by somebody on TV with a big Bible and a fancy hairdo. That's not biblical. You need a church. The first thing that happened after the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2 was the establishment of the church. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says it was added to the church about 3,000. You need a church. That's the bride chamber. Bible says that, that there were 3,000 that was added and in that same chapter and on that same day was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to get in a church, you better get in a bride chamber that's got a lot of oil flowing. You better find a place where you can feel the Holy Ghost. My God, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet when you walk through the doors. This is the place of God's anointing. This is the place of God's power. This is God's Bride chamber. Would you lift your hands and your voices and would you shout unto the Lord? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, we pray. We are the children of the bride chamber, and the bride chamber is the church.
And so every time we gather in the bride chamber, we are gathering to ready ourselves. Is the vessel full of oil? Are we watching and looking? Every time we gather, we come into the bride chamber to worship, to shout unto the Lord once again. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Why do we gather? Why do we worship? Why do we sing? Because we, my friend, are children of the bride chamber. We're not perfect. We've made mistakes. We need mercy. But we are committed to be in the bride chamber when the shout comes forth. We're not going to be out in the market buying more oil. We're not going to be looking for our Holy Ghost and where it went. We're not going to be trying to get prayed up on the eve of the rapture. There's going to be somebody in here that's ready with the shout of the triumph of God's return reverberates in this earth. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds. When we get to heaven, we're going to have a marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bible says. But for now, we're fasting and we're praying and we gather in the bride chamber to ready ourselves with full vessels of oil. How do I fill my vessel with oil? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've not got oil in your vessel, you need to get the same today that has been poured out over 2,000 years ago. It's still being poured out upon men and women, boys and girls, all over this world and in America and in Florida and in Palm Bay at First Pentecostal Church as we saw 22 filled with the Holy Ghost last Sunday morning and that vessel full of the oil of God's power. You say, do I really need it? You need it. You need it every day. I need it. We need it. Your children need it. Everybody breathe in air. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Finally, the children of the bride chamber witness a latter-day miracle. The children of the bride chamber witness a latter-day miracle. In John 2, we read that Jesus and his disciples went to Cana of Galilee to attend a wedding. They ran out of wine, but Jesus told them to fill the water pots with water and then serve it to the guests. Ladies and gentlemen, every miracle requires an action of faith. They risk being made fun of and ridiculed by serving water to the guests. But everything in the hands of God becomes greater than what was formerly served. Because when they serve this wine, the governor of the feast, the wedding coordinator, I'm going to put it in your own modern day vernacular, said, you saved, went to the bridegroom, you have saved the best wine for last. Normally they would serve the best first and they would serve the cheap stuff later when everybody was feeling festive and it didn't matter. So he knew something was wrong. He said, uh, he, this governor of the feast recognized that the, the latter wine was, was better than what they had served at first. And when he reported it, nobody knew why except those servants, those ones that had filled the water pots. They knew what had happened. Because it may seem ordinary, but if you put it in the hands of Jesus... Oh my. 
Come on, some of you got some problems you've been fussing and fighting with your whole life. Why don't you put it in the hands of Jesus? And then your latter days will be greater than your former days. Come on, your best days are not behind you. You're not just marking time. You serve a God that wants to change your destiny. But you've got to put your life in His hands. You gotta say, here I am, Lord, with all of my scars and my mistakes and my problems and my wrong choices and decisions, but I put it all in your hands. And he can make something beautiful out of your life. And the Bible says, the latter shall be greater than the former. The latter shall be greater than the former. I want to say this to some people that the devil's been whispering in your ear. Life is not even worth it. The devil's been trying to tell some of you, you won't ever get delivered. You'll fight this devil till the day you die. I've come to tell you today that the devil is a liar. The father of all lies. Maybe if we were just fighting a natural battle. We would be preordained to have to deal with the natural consequences of natural mistakes. But we're not. This is a supernatural battle, my friend. And the only thing that's going to keep me is if I just stay at arm's length from God. But if I will come into His presence, if I will come to that mercy seat and say, God, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I need your help. I need your strength. The Bible says in the book of Joel and then Peter referred to it as he preached on the day of Pentecost in the last days. Everybody say the last days. How many of you know that we're living in the last days right now? In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. Turn to your neighbor and say that means you. All flesh. Not just people raised in the church. Not just people that have had good lives and good upbringing. I'm talking about all flesh. In those latter days, in those last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And Isaiah said, for with staggering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. The latter day miracle is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's why you can stand. That's why Peter had to explain on the day of Pentecost. Watch this. This is good. These men are not drunk as he supposed. Because those that gathered in the streets only knew about the former wine. Them guys must be up there drinking. They acting crazy like drunk folks. But Peter said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that. That the prophet Joel said. In the last days. saith God I will pour out my spirit. We got some new wine. <laughs> I said we got some new wine. That's filling some new vessels. It's wine that's been in the hands of God. It won't leave you with a hangover. It won't leave you with regret. It won't leave you with shame. But it'll quicken your step and renew your vision. Peter had to explain it. Why? Because they were witnessing latter-day miracle. I don't know about you, my friend, but I believe we're witnessing 
a latter-day miracle. Children of the bride chamber witness a latter-day miracle. You know why? Because they're coming to church. They're children of the bride chamber. If all I do is sit home and watch the news, I'll think the whole world's falling apart. But as soon as I get up in the midst of a bunch of Holy Ghost-filled people, even though you may not understand it all, you may think they're all crazy. Oh, come on now, I'm talking to the 20-something visitors that we got here today for the first time. What's the matter with all them folks? Oh, I just want to tell all of our first-time guests, these men are not drunk as ye suppose. <laughs> See this Sunday morning. <laughs> but we are drunk on the Holy Ghost because <laughs> the Lord took our shame and gave us joy. He's turned our mourning into debts. He's given me joy where there was no joy. He's given me peace where there was no peace. And so we rejoice today. We rejoice today. Because our Lord has saved the best stuff for last. And I ask you today, don't you want to participate in it? You're already in the bride chamber. Why not become a child? of the bride chamber say how do I do that the Bible says all you got to do is ask approach the throne of God with a request for mercy say Lord forgive me of every sin I think everybody in this building could pray that prayer right now why don't you bow your head every single person first time guest or been a member for 25 years Lord forgive me of every sin right now would you pray that prayer come on all across this building I'm asking you Lord to give me mercy I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me. I've not done everything right, Lord. I've made mistakes. I've had wrong thoughts, actions, things I wish I hadn't have done, but, but I did, Lord. And, and so I just ask you now to forgive me. Wash me as white as snow. Come on, all you got to pray a little simple prayer. God will hear you. Cleanse me right now from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. I believe that you died for my sins, Lord. I believe that one day you're coming back again for a church that's looking for your appearing. I'm asking the Lord to forgive me right now. The Bible says if you ask Him, He is just to forgive you. You know what that means? Everybody in this building that asked God to forgive of every sin, that means that every one of you are forgiven right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, won't you clap your hands and thank the Lord. He's forgiven you. Isn't that awesome? So now you've got a vessel that needs to be filled with oil. You now you've got a vessel that's got to be filled with the Spirit of God. I'm going to pray right now and ask God to fill every single person with the Holy Ghost. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, come on. The Bible says that those five that did not prepare, that had to go find the oil, when they got back, the door was shut and it would not be open. My friend, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, the Bible says you're none of His. You've got to be filled with the Spirit of God to go to heaven. And so now, as you have gathered in this bride chamber to ready yourself, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place right now to fill every vessel from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Not just a little bit, but overflowing, splashing over the edges of the cup and coming up off the platter. The power of God overflowing. I'm going to ask our altar workers to come down and stand at this altar right now. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost coming in this place. All of our altar workers, come on down here.
turn around and face. Now, those of you that are in the audience, let me tell you something right now. In just a moment, I'm going to open up this altar, and I'm going to invite you to come forward. These people that are gathered down here are going to pray with you right now. Here's all you got to do. All you got to do is come in faith believing that anything I ask of him, the Bible says, if you ask, it shall be given. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it shall be opened. All you got to do is ask him and the Lord will do the work. And the second thing you've got to do is worship. All you got to do is say, Lord, I glorify you. I magnify you. And the Bible said that as you do, hallelujah, you're going to begin to speak out words you don't understand. You don't have to be afraid of that. You can receive it this morning. We had a man last week that had been seeking for the Holy Ghost for five years and received the Spirit of God with the evidence of speaking in tongues in five seconds. Come on, all you got to do is believe and say, here I am to worship. Come on right now, if you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, come on right now. Step out of where you're standing. Make your way down to this altar. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. The Bible said that today is the day of salvation. That's right. People are coming wherever you're at. Take your neighbor by the hand. Say, come on, let's fill up our vessel with oil today. We're in the bride chamber and we're ready to receive of the Spirit of God. Oh, that's powerful. God bless these that are coming. Hang on, don't pray yet. I want to gather as many as I come. And those of you, those of you that are standing next to somebody, turn and ask them, have you received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Just ask them. If they say no, take them by the hand. Say, come on, let's go to the altar together. Come on now. This is not the day for anybody to be left behind. This is the day of the latter-day miracle. Hallelujah. This is the power, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost right now. Woo! Hallelujah. If you've repented of your sins, which we've already done, all you got to do is say, Lord, I'm ready to receive right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Is there anybody in this building that said, I need mercy today? I need a God of mercy that will restore the joy. That's beautiful. People are coming from all over. God's going to fill a whole bunch of people with the Holy Ghost. Come on right now. That's it. That's it. Some of you that said, hey, it's been a while since I've received the Holy Ghost. I need to be refilled right now. Come on. You can come too. Come on and come in behind them right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to pray the prayer of faith in just a moment. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to fill this altar. That's beautiful. Some of you that need a refill, and that's it. Come on, my brother. Come on now. Say, we're coming right now. We're willing to admit we need a physician. We're willing to admit we need some help. Come on. When you come to this altar, you're willing to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's beautiful. People are still coming. People are still coming all over this building. My, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Come on, 10 more seconds. 10 more seconds. 10 more seconds. And then this altar is going to be filled with people being filled with the Holy Ghost right now. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Come on, right now. 3, 2, 1. All right, those of you that are in the altar, I want you to lift your hands right now in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray the prayer of faith. These altar workers are going to lay their hands on your head. When they lay their hand on your head, that's it. They're already receiving the Holy Ghost. That's it. 
Come on, church, pray with me. By the authority of the Word of God. By the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. I receive your spirit.